Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton and I'm the host of the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Today's guest is Jason Van Rassel. He's an Alberta-based beer writer and blogger who's been active in the Alberta craft beer scene for many years. I personally became aware of him when I saw his name repeatedly popping up in beer threads on Twitter. I started taking him more seriously when Rebellion President and CEO Mark Heisey gave his recommendation and said, you should follow Jason on Twitter and pay attention to what he has to say. And so I did. A few weeks ago, we were getting into our brand new wet hopped Comet Solo Crush beer and Mark said, you know what? This beer kicks ass. Let's just send it to some of our favorite people. And Jason was on our list. But then he said, hey, I'm coming to town for a visit so I just said, come on the podcast, come drink a beer with me. Let's have a great time. So let's get into it. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I'm pretty jazzed to get to share yeah. a beer with you finally. Yeah, same. I've been talking a lot of smack on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be a bit more polite in person, I guess. <laughs> wow, Prairie Boys, right? Yeah, 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 maybe. A little rough on around the edges, yeah, you could take yeah, it. Yeah, it's all good. So what brings you to Regina? Uh, my wife uh, is doing some, uh, researching some family history. So her, um, her great-grandfather um, was the town doctor in Rabbit Lake in, I guess that's northwestern Saskatchewan, um, sort of uh, near the Battlefords, I guess. I'm... I'm if I sound tentative, it's because I only all just learned all this in the last couple of weeks. And um, so we had a, a vacation back to see our folks out east canceled because of the pandemic. And we were trolling around for ideas and things to do. Uh, and Leah just had this revelation one day that Rabbit Lake actually wasn't too far from Edmonton where we live. So we kind of planned a little bit of an agenda and um, decided to go to Rabbit Lake, um, not spend an entire week in Rabbit Lake, uh, as interesting as it is, and I can get into it um, in a second, we, we wanted to see a bit more of Saskatchewan. It had been many years since either of us had been through the province. I knew there were a lot of cool breweries here, uh, too, so um, I guess it was a bit of that, that meritable, marital quid pro quo, you know, uh, we did the, the family research thing in Rabbit Lake, and we've got some other destinations um, as we head back to Alberta that have some family significance, but she's like, you know, where there's some breweries you want to go visit, so... Uh, we rolled through Saskatoon on a Monday when pretty much everything was closed, but uh, we got to Regina uh, yesterday on Tuesday and uh, had a lovely afternoon on the patio at, at Multinational and uh, here with you guys today. So um, we're going to probably um, hit, uh, I think it's Rafter R in Maple Creek on our way out of the province and uh, spend the night in Medicine Hat, which also has, uh, I think, three or four really good breweries now. So it's been a, it's been a good trip all around. Nice. <laughs> Well, if you said you haven't been to Saskatchewan in over a decade? Oh, definitely, definitely. So, like the craft beer scene has completely exploded in the last five to seven years. Yes. I mean, the last time I was here, there would be Paddockwood in, in Saskatoon and Bushwhacker here. That was it. Um, and the real, the real cool thing is being, is being here and, and drinking the beer because a lot of the breweries are, aren't in the Alberta market right now. So... Um, you know, Paddockwood was actually way back in the day. It's not anymore, yeah. uh, as far as I can tell. And so, um, you know, I always tell people beers like, you know, a lot of consumables. It's best consumed fresh and at the source. And so um, coming and visiting these different breweries in, in uh, Saskatchewan and, and having the beers um, in the place, uh, having them fresh, uh, having beers that I wouldn't ordinarily get the chance to try in Alberta and meeting some cool people along the way is just bit, we didn't get to go see our families, and that's a bummer, but uh, Plan B's been pretty awesome. How did you yourself get into craft beer? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> kind of in stages, I think, like a lot of people. Um, I, I grew up in Ontario in the 90s, and uh, that's probably, you know, you have Victoria and, and the West Coast is one of the cradles of Canada's craft beer civilization, and, and Ontario was, was one of them as well. And uh, I remember one of my older brothers coming home, you know, I, I probably wasn't still quite legal then, was maybe 17 or 18, because the drinking age in Ontario is 19. And he has this big one liter glass bottle of like this, this amber colored um, lager of some sort in it, and it was Creamore Springs. And that's 
how their beer originally used to come. And he's like, I, I don't know. I was at the beer store. I saw this. It looked different. You know, I'm going to try it. And, uh, you know, at this point, you know, the only real experience I had with beer was drinking way too much Canadian or Molson Dry, uh, you know, in somebody's basement. And if I was lucky, I kept it all down, you know, so. Drinking it because it was wet. Yeah, not yeah, it tasted great. yeah. And, and I remember drinking it, and it definitely had more flavor than I expected and wasn't entirely cool with that at first, but, but then realized, like, hey, this is actually pretty good. So that's my first tangible memory of, like, drinking something different and um, not quite being won over right away, but then keeping at it a bit, and, and, and it definitely piqued my curiosity. Um, the, other, the other story I like to tell people is that um, I also started deliberately buying craft beer um, in university because I found that if you went to a party and you threw it in the cooler or in the fridge, uh, people would stay away from it. <laughs> they, they wouldn't drink your beer. So uh, it became a tactic, and, and I think, um, it, or it started out as a tactic, and I think it became, uh, obviously, I, I kind of like these beers too. Um, I'm going to drink more of them. And, and um, that's how it started. It was on hold for many, many years, because I, uh, I lived in the Arctic. I was in, um, I was in northwestern Ontario for a couple of years, working uh, for my very first newspaper after journalism school. It was a small weekly paper in, in northwestern Ontario. But then I worked, then I lived in Iqaluit for two years working for a paper called Nunatsiak News. And you can imagine um, the craft beer options in um, what was still part of the Northwest Territories back then, it was even before Nunavut, um, were not great. So, I mean, I spent a couple years uh, drinking Canadian and Blue and Molson X. And uh, when I got my first job in Alberta in the, the 90s, um, Alberta didn't have a ton of craft breweries at that time. I mean, there was Big Rock. Uh, but had that open skies policy, you know, with the privatized uh, liquor distribution system and stuff coming in from all around the world. So all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm picking up Chimay Bleu and, and Trappist Rochefort and going, what's this? And, and trying that and, and just being exposed to that very early on. Um, but it was definitely those first few years in Alberta as a craft beer fan, it was, it was lean times for uh, <laughs> homegrown beer. Um, and of course, Alberta's exploded greatly too uh, in, in the last, uh, since, since 2013 I'd say, but um, that's a really long and circuitous way to tell you how I got into craft beer, but there were, there are, were a couple different milestones along the way and they're pretty far spread apart. So. Well, let's not waste any time. Let's get into today's beer. This is called a wet hopped JGL Farms Comet. That's the hop that's yeah. in the beer and it's our solo crush. So the concept behind this whole beer series is that every single batch is going to feature a different single hop. The art stays the same, the can is the same, but you're going to get a little bit of a different hop profile with each batch. What makes this one extra special is these hops were grown in Musumin, Saskatchewan, a couple hours down the highway, right? We literally drove out to the farm helped pick the hops, put them through the machines, bailed them, and like screamed down the highway. And the brewers are waiting. They got the gear all ready. The kettles are ready. They, they knew we're coming with fresh, unprocessed wet hops. Get it into the tanks as fast as possible. And I'm really excited to share this one with you. I'm really enjoying it. It's, there's a, a nice light herbaceousness to the hops. And also I, I'm getting like a little bit of mint too. Just, just, just a little bit, but it's, it's, um, you know, I'm being put on the spot, and words are kind of failing me because I mean, the the only, the only real overarching adjective or descriptor I can come up with is it's fresh. It's just got, it's just got a really nice, bright flavor to it, and and, it, and the mouth feels bang on. It's nice and it's nice and light, um, and it's got some body to it. I'm really enjoying it. We we call it a hazy IPA, but I would say. It kind of feels closer to a hazy pale ale. Yeah. The alcohol isn't super huge on it. I think it's no. only 5.5. Um, I get a, lot of, a little bit of grass. Yep. But three weeks ago when I drank this, it tasted different than it tastes today. It's, it's shocking to me how quickly it's evolved after three weeks in the can. Yeah. Well, hop forward beers, that's, that's the whole thing. And, and, uh, I mean, there's a whole conversation you can have about shelf stability and, and, and just how long some of those beers should be out there. Or, you know, what's the drop-dead point, right, when you, when you maybe shouldn't drink it anymore. 
Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's, uh, I mean, so it's about three weeks old. This we put in cans about three weeks yeah, ago. No, yeah. Well done. It's, uh, I, I like the juice on it. Some of the other uh, solo crushes we've done maybe have a little bit more of a dirt kind of character to it, or they're just piney or yeah. woody. And that's not really what I kind of am attracted to for hops. This to me is a little bit more tropical, juicy. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's the best one so far, and I hope everybody gets to taste it because it's so rare. We only do wet hop beer like once a year, and then it's done. Lucky me. <laughs> well, you know that is the advantage of coming and visiting, right? You get that. You can catch that lightning in a bottle, metaphorical bottle, or lightning in a can. You know, the beers that are only coming out if you're there at the right time in the right place. So, glad to be here, and I'm loving it. I think that ephemeral, um, hard-to-find nature makes it just a little bit extra mm. special. Like it's, it's not just a story you're being told or marketed. It's like, this is an actual experience. I can't stop sipping it. It's like... Well, I mean... <laughs> I'm down to about a I'm down to about a quarter of a glass, so I'm 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 in the same boat. I'm gonna send you home with some, just, awesome. just so you don't miss out. Um, I don't recommend aging it though. No, no, it's not going in the cellar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's so good, but I just gotta slow down. I just like it too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Frank the Tank in old school. It's oh, what's it is your lips? It's so good. <laughs> You're talking a little bit about the Alberta craft beer scene. Yeah. I'd love to touch base with kind of what you guys are seeing in Alberta. How's it going there for craft beer? It's been a really interesting last couple of years. I, I, I think that when the real impetus was the, the provincial government dropping pr uh, minimum production quotas that, that kept small players out of the market. You needed millions of dollars and you needed, um, I think, to have 500,000 liter capacity um, to get into the game before 2013. So you can imagine the kind of scale and uh, you need in terms of money to do that. Um, when that first wave of breweries kind of opened up um, after 2013, I'd say there was a deluge in terms of uh, numbers. Um, I, don't think there was, I don't think there was a corresponding um, surge in quality. And, and, you know, someone might listen to me say that and say, oh boy, you know, he's, he's out here in Saskatchewan uh, talking smack about the people back home. It's like, I said it back home too. Um, you know, so I, I'm not telling any tales out of school. Uh, the funny thing is, is there, there were some breweries, you know, that were part of that first wave that were doing incredible creative things right out of the gate and still are. And, I, and Dandy's one of them, Dandy Brewing Company in Calgary. I enjoy their beer. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the ones that, that maybe weren't so um, good or innovative out of the gate, I think have settled into... Um, settled into their niche and their, you know, found their place in the market. Um, but the real renaissance, I think, the real revolution has probably happened in the last two or three years. And the thing that I find personally fascinating about it is that it's happening largely in rural Alberta. Really? Yeah. There, there are, you know, and you think of, um, you know, beer has this intrinsic uh, inherent connection to agriculture because of the inputs, you know, your barley, your hops, your water, um, yeast, not so much, but, but uh, you know, when you get into spontaneous fermentation and, and all that, actually the answer would be yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's this real neat connection to see, um, you know, almost a throwback to what you, you have in the old world where every town had a brewery. And, and Alberta's really been, uh, really seen a lot of that. And uh, it's one thing for these business owners to go out there and to make that leap and make that investment. Uh, it's another thing for a local populace that, that maybe wasn't raised on uh, particularly adventurous or, or, or innovative beer to start embracing it, you know, um, you know, to have people in, you know, that are Coors Light and Bud drinkers, you know, walking into Blind Man Brewing in Lacombe uh, to pick up, uh, you know, a fooder-aged Brett Saison, you know, <laughs> and, and that happens. Um, so I, I think uh, the, the breweries themselves in, in Alberta have done a really good job of innovating and and moving the moving the goalposts along in terms of the kind of beers that they're brewing and the marketplace is moving along with them um, there's always going to be education to do um, you know you you look at any um, you look at any of the rating sites <laughs> you know and you look at some of the some of the ratings that people will leave on these these beers that by all objective measures are awesome it'll be like oh it tasted you know tasted kind of Dank and like a barnyard, you know, a, 
hated it. And it's like, well, actually, if you knew something about that style, that's the way it's supposed to take. So there's always education to be done. Um, and, and I think the Alberta market's still a very young market, but it's, it's, I guess the easy way to sum it up is it's, it's, it's gone very far in a very short period of time. I do see some entrance into our market from Alberta, but I do know that there's red tape to get across the border, whether from Saskatchewan to Alberta or Alberta to Saskatchewan, you're running into some barriers. So it feels like the bigger guys, maybe they have a more presence, but the ones that I'm more interested in are tougher to get and less easily available. And I don't know, I'm not saying that's a virtue or not, but I'd really like to see some more dandy and some cabin, you know? Um, I, I like those beers. And when people bring them back from Alberta, say my, my cousins, I, I'm happy to trade with them and say, take these back and share them with your Alberta buds and see what they say. Yeah. Free the beer. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it does seem kind of crazy that in, in a confederation that, that we are, that, um, you know, products don't seem to move so easily across those, those provincial boundaries. Um, I know that the owners of uh, Ripstone Creek Brewing in Edgerton, Alberta, which is very close to Lloyd Minster in the provincial boundary, um, they were some local farmers who wanted to find something that would kind of revitalize the local economy a little bit. They, there was a disused building in town that they, they were kicking around ideas about what kind of business they could go into and maybe employ some people in the process. And part of their thought process, too, was that Saskatchewan's right over there. We could sell beer in Saskatchewan, too. And Ribstone Creek has been around for a number of years, and as far as I know, they're still not selling beer in Saskatchewan. So. I've only had a couple. Yeah. But I, it was a long time ago, and I don't recall strongly what I drank. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But but that was part of their business plan, you know, and and it and then smush right yeah, into the wall. Yeah, yeah, their business plan very quickly changed. You know. <laughs> We've been talking about how we would like to see as a the SAS craft beer community parity between the Western provinces. So whether it's production levies, regulatory red tape, kind of the expectations that are placed upon you as a business, we'd like to see some more uniformity in the regulations we want them to make sense it's not that we don't want to pay taxes it's not that we don't want to contribute to our local communities we're happy to right that's part of what it means to be uh in a community it supports you and you support them but we'd like to see predictability you run into some snags with a a different province and it ended up costing uh one small retailer thousands of dollars because he was trying to import product from Saskatchewan. It was pretty frustrating to deal with. And I, I said to my guys, I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty heated up right now. Let me write a letter. Hmm. And in that letter, I said, we want to comply with your rules. You failed to answer our emails and return our calls. We're pretty frustrated right now. We're not saying we don't want to comply. We want to, but you need to help us and respond to us. And then I just snuck in, what about the New West Partnership? Aren't we in this great Western partnership of economic power and unity to check some of the predation from other jurisdictions? And I think that kind of lit a fire under them because within about half an hour of us sending off that letter, they called us back and said, okay, well, nice. let's, ha- let's have a meeting. <laughs> Nice. I mean, you you used the you used the ideal word in that um, in that um, when in telling that story, which is predictability. I, I think that you know there are there are some rules that that any business can take or leave. There's some costs that they'd rather not pay, but they'll do it if they know that it's there and they can build it in. And and I think that's really what what just about any business is is asking for the most, and it's predict. What's really wild to me is um, Alberta doesn't do it, Saskatchewan doesn't do it, but Manitoba won't let retailers set a price on their products. So they order from a single purchaser, that single source, that government-owned entity, and then they put it on the shelf and the government says, I'm going to tell you what the price is, and that's what you sell it at. 
which is counterintuitive because I think if, if you want to put a product on sale or you want to attract consumers, you want to do a limited time offer or incentives or maybe something's about to expire, you need that kind of flexibility to appeal to your customers. Totally agree. And then I look at Alberta and it's kind of, you guys are kind of like freewheeling yeah, and very yeah. aggressive. You import a ton I, of stuff. I'm, I'm doing my finger gun, pew, pew, pew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, that's us. And Saskatchewan's somewhere in the middle. And I talked about this uh, earlier with Jason Foster, but I kind of wanted to ask you, hmm. what do you think? Oh man, um, Jason Foster is the policy guru in our province, so um, I think whatever he thinks, um, uh, you know, not not to put not not to make too much light of it, but but seriously, he he's a, a person who spends a lot of time um, breaking it down and and um, studying the policies, and so I think that um, he, I would definitely defer to somebody who spent way more time than me doing it. I, you know, I, I think what I can tell you and 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 be pretty honest and pretty earnest about it is is what. Um, in my role as a beer writer and as somebody who goes out and interviews people, you know, I, I can kind of give you a reflection of what they're telling me. And, and um, you know, it has a ring of truth to it, certainly, when you hear it often enough. Um, I, I think the th one of the things that stuck with me most um, in some of the recent chats I've had with industry people, I talked to um, Mike McNeil, who's uh, just, uh, he was the former executive director of uh, the Alberta Small Brewers Association. He left the position um, sometime, I think, back in the summer. Um, but not too long before he left, he and I had a, had a fairly wide-ranging interview on a number of subjects. And make no mistake, um, you know, the interprovincial trade barriers are, are a huge irritant to the industry and continue to be. Uh, you know, but one of the things that he said that struck me, and, and, and I think part of the reason I'm, I'm thinking about it now is because it was a little bit exceptional in terms of the conversation doesn't always go to this place, is, you know, we still have a lot of work to do within our province. Um, you know, we still have a lot of work in terms of breaking those exclusivity agreements that municipalities might have with, oh, I don't know, a multi, multi, uh, multinational brewing conglomerate, you know, that sells beer and every arena, and I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about Rogers Place, I'm talking about, um, you know, just your municipal community arenas or in your golf courses and your curling rinks. And, and I thought that was a really good point. You know, when you, when you aggregate all those small changes across all these communities in the province or across all, say, the community, you know, the community golf courses or community arenas, you know, in a city like Edmonton or Calgary, um, that's a lot of beer that's being sold to a lot of people. Um, you know, in a lot of different places. It's a revenue thing for sure, but I think the other thing is that huge intangible that's so important, which is exposure. Um, someone walking up, to the, uh, walking up to the canteen at their local golf course and, you know, asking for a Bud Light and the person saying, well, we don't have Bud Light, but we have this. And, you know, and I've seen this, uh, Klondike Days in Edmonton went completely craft Right. beer a couple of years ago and some people lost their minds you know they couldn't get a Bud Light it's like I'm not drinking anything but but there were a few people that after they got over that initial sort of you know their brain broke for a second and they're like well, what am I going to drink um, you know they were handed something local and and I bet you a lot of them came away from it enjoying it and and maybe making the switch I think it's an easier argument to make for people to drink local when they understand that this is Saskatchewan barley. This is Alberta barley. These hops were grown in your backyard. It supports local farmers. Yeah. I, I think about that a lot. Um, you you kind of touched on it in your previous answer, but I, I keep coming back to, you're a beer writer. What excites you? What essential story are you kind of chasing now? Like what questions yeah. do you want answered? Yeah, um... I want to see where the industry is going to go. Um, I don't think that makes me unique. I don't think that, oh, wow, you know, he, there's a really insightful journalist. He thought, you know, he wants to look into the future and find out what the next big thing is. Um, that's probably a very common question. But I think we're at a crossroads in Alberta. You know, you, you, um, it's natural to, to be curious about the future, but I think this is a particularly pivotal, pivotal time to be thinking about the future. And, you know, we've been asking the saturation question a lot in Alberta. 
um, because we're up around, I think, between 125 and 150 breweries now. Um, you know, the pandemic's thrown a lot of, um, a lot of the modeling, I think, out the window. I, I think under normal circumstances, I would say there's still a lot of room to grow. You know, when you look at uh, the fact that Kraft in Alberta, I think, sits at about 12% of the market. Um, you know, that's a lot of runway you could be taking away from the big guys. Um, and, and so I don't think we're close to the saturation point in Alberta, because I've been asked that question a few times, and I don't, I don't think we are. Um, we know a mature market can get to about 20 to 25% market share. Yeah. Here in Saskatchewan, we're sitting at about 5% market yeah. share. And still they say Bud Light is the number one selling beer yeah. nat nationwide. And it's like, man, we're working our asses off. And that's how far ahead they are, even in mature markets like Alberta. So I... I'm not sure I'd call Alberta mature. BC definitely is. And I think BC craft sits at about 20%. It, it might even be close, closer to 25, but I, I feel comfortable saying 20. I, I guess if now that I've had a second to think about it, maybe this sounds a bit more intelligent than what I said a second ago. It's, it's not so much, or it is, you know, where are things going to go? But, I, but if I had to refine my answer and kind of drill down a bit deeper, it's how do we, how do we break that metaphorical ceiling? How do we start claiming that market share and climbing past the 10, 12% and making Alberta craft beer a thing? Is it, um, is it education? Is it marketing? Is it combination? Like who has, who has the secret sauce? Who has the, who has the answer? And probably no one person has the answer, but who's going who's gonna to maybe start making that breakthrough or putting Alberta down the road towards making that breakthrough. And I think that's going to be the really interesting thing to watch. Now that I've had a second to think about it. <laughs> we talk about uh, tipping points a lot here for our business. But when we think about what is the tipping point, we want to be a household brand. We want to be a household name in Saskatchewan. So when you talk about beer, we want Rebellion to come up at that conversation. If you say Big Rock, no one goes, what's that? Everybody yep. knows what Big Rock is. Steam Whistle, another example of craft. You say Steam Whistle, and people know what that is. If we can get to the point in Saskatchewan or Alberta and Manitoba where somebody says rebellion, oh, you're talking about beer. It's not a question. Oh, I don't, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of that. What's that about? And I feel like we're just on that like precipice that tipping point, our stats that we're seeing on social media, the way journalists now call us and want to talk to us about beer, the way government is responding when they need to talk to us about an issue or we're calling them. You write a sternly worded letter and yeah, you get a response. Yeah. They're not like, who the hell are you? They're yeah. like, oh yeah, it's, it's the folks from Rebellion. Let's take their call. And I, we're just on the edge and if covid hadn't happened i think this year would have been so explosive for us as a company as a scene as a province and it's like we're still on like we're teetering yeah. on that edge of like extra yeah I, I think this year has been um really challenging for a lot of people obviously across all all industries all ways of life um you know no matter where you are um i think for the beer industry um there's there've been some there've been some what I would say moral victory what what I call moral victories you know um, the industry in Alberta pivoted really quickly uh, with getting um, you know delivery um, online shopping and and those things off the ground and I think that stabilized things or at least it's or at least it slowed down the rate at which they were going to start to lose money because tap rooms couldn't be opened when things were locked down and and bars were closed during the lockdown. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody's completely made up, um, made up their position from where they would have been pre-COVID, but I think a lot of breweries have weathered the storm and weathered it, weathered it well. Um, you know, talk about the big news story or, you know, the thing to look at in the, in the days and months and years going forward. I guess it's going to be that long-term adjustment to the pandemic too. Who makes it and how do they make it? Um, I, I wouldn't argue with you at all about, I think, there was probably potential for a breakout year uh, in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Um, 
I think a lot of good things still happen, but but it, it's definitely a bit of a it's definitely a bit of a come down too um, when you look at the, the way the last year or so has been for a lot of people. I won't go into too many heavy numbers, but our estimates just within this province, I th I think we're looking at a three to five million dollar dip just over the summer because we didn't have stadiums and games and restaurants and all those other pieces. Yeah. And even though cans, like you look at our can sales, exploded and our brewers are running just as fast, all of that packaging, all of that extra work just to get the beer into someone's hand gobbled up all those opportunities. And it's, I think it's resulting in millions of dollars of losses. Yeah. And it's, it's not like the money vanished, but if you're trying to plan for an expansion or make a big preparation to purchase ingredients for the next year you kind of have to tighten your belt and say how can i do this more efficiently or do i just hold off for another year yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't say no one's doing cartwheels because i think there are some people doing cartwheels but they're doing cartwheels because they survived you know, <laughs> not, not because you know not because they made money hand over fist or undertook that big expansion right? one of the other things i, I kind of wanted to bug you about was what do you think about seltzers you know, God, I'm going to disappoint you because I, I don't really have a hard opinion, you know, other than um, different strokes for different folks. Um, it's not my thing. Um, you know, if people want to drink them, go ahead. Uh, I look at it as, and, and I, this is where I'm probably showing my age, right? You know, I'm, I'm in my late 40s. Um, my metabolism ain't what it used to be. I just, look, I just look at all the calories in that. And I mean, I've only got a certain amount of miles that I should be putting on my liver you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, and any given, in any given day or week. And it's like, ain't nobody got time for that. At least, at least not me in my life. Um, but, but younger me, younger me might've liked them. <laughs> One of the things we were kind of examining is, is it a fad or is it sustainable? And I don't know how closely you follow the American Brewers Association. Yeah. Bart Watson recently just released some numbers saying how quickly it's dropped in popularity and I'm like, is that cause it's getting cold or is that because people are over the fad? Yeah. I, I would tend to think the latter that maybe things were just so superheated at first and now it's settling into uh, maybe a, uh, a normal, you know, a norm. Um, you can measure success so many different ways and there. I think there are a lot of intriguing conversations about seltzers. I was just on, um, I was on Twitter this morning and, there are a couple bloggers talking about um, social media metrics for seltzer manufacturers versus craft breweries on TikTok and how the seltzer manufacturers had basically um, gravitated towards TikTok almost immediately and saw huge numbers. And craft beer has been kind of slower to, to embrace TikTok and how and there was kind of some, some angsting and some, some tugging of forelocks about maybe you know, the craft beer industry's missed the boat on TikTok um, and how it's owned by the seltzer makers and the White Claws and the whatever. So who knows? I, I, I mean, I, I guess maybe I, you know, maybe I'm, like I said, I'm showing my age and that I'm, it's never really excited me, but some of the numbers were, were pretty intriguing. And so there's, you, you have to pay attention, whether, even if it's something you're not personally interested in, when, when you have that kind of critical mass of people who are interested in something like that, um, I'm big on social, so not even talking about seltzers, just social media. You know, I'm, I'm pretty involved on Twitter and, and on Facebook and, and Instagram to a lesser degree. I've never paid attention to TikTok at all. Um, I have the luxury of the fact that I do the beer thing as, as kind of a hobby and a side hustle. I don't make money from it. Um, but it also makes me wonder if I did, would I have to start looking at being on TikTok? Uh, and the answer is probably yes. <laughs> We had a very heated discussion very early on in January saying, should we be on TikTok? Is this worth our time? And ultimately I said, uh, I was advocating against it. Not because I didn't want to do more work, but I said that the audience there is too young for our market. The people on TikTok in Saskatchewan aren't drinking age. Um, so we'd be chasing a very small niche audience. But I had to pull out the numbers and say, this is where our audience is. And 
you know, if, if we wanted to attract 15 year olds <laughs> to drink beer, then that's where we would be. But that's not our target audience. And I wonder what the, what the liquor commission would have to say about that. Too. Well, that's kind of when you bring that up, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, man, those sneaky bastards, like marketing on TikTok to me is hitting kind of like that sub 18 demo. Yeah. I think in a couple of years when that audience matures and grows, maybe there's more incentive for us to be present. But this year I said, let's hold off. I think a, I think a good strategy with social media generally is is to be deliberate about it. Um, you know, I, I uh, I've seen so many people that are. It's it's the digital um, it's the digital equivalent of of clients in the communication business. That we, we need a brochure. You know, well, why? Who's your audience and why? What do you want to say? And you know, social media today to me seems to be for a lot of corporations and a lot of entities. Just someone says we need to be on there because. Every, everybody else is, but they can't necessarily articulate a reason. So the fact that you guys had that conversation and actually made a decision based on evidence, God forbid, um, um, you know, good for you because not everybody does. We agonize over it. And I had to stick to my guns because, you know, a couple months into it, people were like, we need to be there. We're missing it. We're not talking to these people. And I just said, just wait. And then they started talking about the bands, the TikTok bands, and all that nonsense was coming out. And I actually went to a course. I took a web course with some very intelligent communicators who said, if you want to be on TikTok as a marketer, marketing your product, here's what you need to know. And they had stats and everything else. And I'm like, this is amazing information, but it makes no sense for beer. Yeah. At least not yet. But you had to go through the exercise and, and have the discussion to come to that conclusion. So, But then know, I looked time well back to the seltzer guys. I'm like, yeah. you shady MFers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess ultimately they'll do them, right? And, you know, we'll do us in, in, in the beer world. The, I think the real promise for craft beer, at least me personally, uh, my belief is you can have a neutral grain spirit with flavored Mio water and a fizzy bubble thing that tastes like static. But how appealing is that for the rest of your life? To me, that's yeah. not sustainable. But a quality barley-based beverage where you can appreciate the grain or that fresh hop like this wet hop comet, that's like a, you got one life to live. Why choose to eat sawdust and drink <laughs> sawdust when you can have something amazing and local and delicious? I, th I think you make a good point. And I think it... We we're talking about it in the social media context right now, but we touched on it earlier, which is playing kind of that long game with consumer education. And, and I think craft beer is always going to be somewhat of a long game. Um, so the seltzer market may have a perpetual supply of, of late teens and early, you know, early 20-year-olds that will drink their product, but I think you've made a really good point that you know, those, they, they're going to have the churn, but, but the, the people who are drinking it now, you know, there's a good chance they're either going to get sick of it or age out of it at some point. And who's going to be there for them? Beer will be there for them. <laughs> Beer, your old friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> old faithful. When I read your blog, when I look at your content, it's a little bit headier. You're obviously not aiming your uh, darts on the dartboard at a low-knowledge consumer base. You're talking to people who have a more in-depth knowledge. Is that on purpose, or is that just where you live? Um, I'd say to an extent it's where I live. I mean, I, the blog that I do is, is kind of geek-focused, you know, but at the same time, I try, you know, because I have a background in journalism, I try to write things from the perspective of not everybody reading this may be at the same level as, as everybody else. So, you know, maybe put some explication in there when... Um, you know, the beer nerds know exactly what you're talking about, but put that explication in there for someone who might not. Um, I also write for a, a, an arts and culture magazine in, in Edmonton called Edify. Um, for those listening, it's the former Avenue Edmonton. They've rebranded. And I'm very conscious when I'm there of writing for, I'm writing for a general knowledge audience and to try and explain beer to them. And, and to, to tell you the truth, it, it keeps me kind of nimble because, you know, on any given month, I'll, I'll have between five, six hundred words for the column. And, you know, I'll set this high bar for myself and like, oh, I'm going to talk about the monolith, the new mixed fermentation brewery in Edmonton. 
and then realize I've painted myself into this hugely technical corner where I've got 500 words to not only tell people about the brewery, but to explain what mixed fermentation is. And, and it, I, sometimes I, I hate myself for, for creating that challenge. Um, I think I do an okay job of it. Um, you know, I've, I've had a column in the magazine for three years, so you know, they, they keep asking me back every month. Um, you know, the, the, blog, uh, the blog, I would say definitely, I make a few more assumptions that someone's made a choice to come here. They're, they're probably nerdy about beer, and they probably already know what I'm talking about. But I also don't want to be a gatekeeper and, and necessarily put off somebody who may just be getting into beer because we were all learning at some point. I want to say your writing to me is, it feels more neutral. You're not injecting a lot of snappy kind of hot takes into it. And I, from my perspective, I think you could afford to from an entertainment perspective, <laughs> but I also respect your staid journalism training <laughs> that I too once went through. Yeah. And it's, I wrestle with that. How much do you want to be like a WWE wrestler versus a guy who's should be respected and trusted? Yeah. I, I think it, I, I think definitely when you come from a journalism background and particularly a background of being a reporter um, where you're not officially supposed to have opinions, um, when you find yourself in a position where you actually can have opinions, you, you can be a bit tentative about it. And, and, I, and there are times when I have been. Um, you know, I, I definitely have taken some positions on the blog. Um, and... Um, if we talk about the Alberta marketplace being mature in one way, I think in one way that it's not all that mature is that, you know, I'd say even some of my mild um, criticisms sometimes have, have resulted in some pretty pointed, you know, emails, phone calls, and comments back to me. Um, I, I wrote a piece in 2016 um, kind of about how uh, there was a lot of backslapping going on in, in the Alberta beer industry about how great it is. But you know what? I'm still drinking a lot of infected beer, and you guys need to get your shit together. <laughs> and the, the, one of the funniest things about it was that Jason Foster, the other beer writer, actually had a couple people angry at him because they thought he'd wrote it when <laughs> it had been me. Um, and you know, there, there were definitely a lot of people that were like, right on. It's about time somebody said it. Um, but there were a lot of, for lack of a better way of putting it, you know, hurt feelings. And, and I don't really think that an opinion that has a strong foundation in fact and can be defended, you know, is really all that much of a bad opinion. Um, it still may be an opinion, but, but opinions don't come from nowhere, or at least the good ones don't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I could cr give myself a bit more of a longer leash. Uh, and maybe I will now, now that, now that I've Heard it straight from you that I could, I can. That's something to think about. We uh, we did these uh, personality tests <laughs> for all of our staff, and it was kind of a management training piece. And where I scored really high was on reality testing, and I'm like, that's because I was a journalist, always asking, always thinking critically, is this true? And I I see you hitting that same note, and I, I just find it interesting to see the parallels between what my lived experience and what you're kind of bouncing up against in Alberta. Yeah, it's, I think, I think being in journalism, you definitely have um, a lower threshold in or, or less of a filter than maybe some other people do. And, and um, I, I don't like the keyboard warrior phenomenon. I mean, me, you know, maybe if, that, if, if I seem muted in, in, in my online writing, it's because I don't want people to think that I'm just sitting at my computer lobbing grenades and not being able to back it up. Um, the, and, you know, I mean, it's one of those golden rules that your parents teach you. And, and, and I really do believe that I shouldn't be putting it on the screen if, I, if I'm not comfortable saying it to somebody's face. Um, and so I, I mention that because there have been times when, when there have been, like, people in the room that have actually come up to me afterwards and said, you know, I was really surprised that you said that to this brewer's face. And, and like, you know... To me, it's like, well, they asked me my opinion. I gave it to them, and I wasn't, I wasn't an asshole, you know. I, di I didn't, I didn't insult them, but, but yeah, I've, I've looked brewers square in the eye and said, you know what, this one's not for me. I don't think that you did this, or um, you know, you should have maybe done more of this, or. And I think as long as I can deliver that in a respectful way, um, and 
that's where looking the person in the eye comes in. Like, you know, you, you, when you're when you're face to face with somebody, it becomes really tangible to you as the person delivering the opinion that this person's put some effort into this. They make their living from this and, you know, they don't really want to be insulted. But they did ask what you thought and they asked what you thought because they think that you can bring some knowledge to the conversation. I'm not doing them any favors if I lie or blow sunshine up their ass. So right. um, let's let's give them the, the, the straight goods, but maybe just try not to be an asshole about it. <laughs> don't be an asshole. That's a yeah, great piece a of... Great, great rule for life, right? We need that for 2020. <laughs> I think some of the strongest brewers I've met are deeply self-critical. Um, they're reality testing. They're, they're always within doubt. And sometimes to a fault where I'm like, you should be really proud of this beer. This was a delicious experience. And they're like, well, I, I could have done this different. I could have done that different. And when, I'm, when I've drank their other beers, you can just see their commitment to improving, which I think is all you can really ask. It's when you say the backslapping, the defensive, I don't want to think critically about what I produced. Just drink it. It's like, well, be your best. And if you're not working to be the best. Why are you doing it? Right. <laughs> no, and, and, I, and I would, I would say my own experience with, with some of the top brewers in Alberta, exactly what you said. They're, they're going to actually be harder on themselves than, than you could ever be. Um, and it's because they know the craft inside out and upside down eight ways till Sunday. Um, and, and so they, they're detecting you know, those minute flaws that, that, that I could never pick up, but, but they know it's there because it's their beer. And they know it's that one iota or one touch different from the last time they made it when they really thought they nailed it. Um, and, and I think the most committed brewers and the most professional ones are the ones that you can give the straight goods to because they are constantly honing and constantly refining and they want to dial things in. Last week I talked to Jordan St. John and it just keeps coming back to me when you speak. He says that um, I want to talk about the exciting great beers. And now I, I get to plug in your piece where it says, I don't need to bash the mediocre beers. Let's just not talk about them. Let's focus on what's great. And to kind of see you and him on that wavelength is really interesting to me because you guys are half a country apart and you didn't talk to him before you came on this podcast. No, you can, didn't can confirm. <laughs> You're yeah. not like, let's, let's slip one past Matt. And yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I think, I think I would d differ with him a little bit in that I don't necessarily agree. And I, and I've heard, I've heard the sentiment a couple times, a couple times among beer writers where it's like, you know, we can take the bad stuff and the public will know it's bad just by inference because we don't talk about it. And I think that maybe is, and I'm not, and I'm not saying Jordan was the guy who's exclusively said this, and I'm not taking issue with Jordan's opinions, if you're listening, Jordan. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that, I think there is room to be, to be critical. And, and, you know, I, I think the reason there, there aren't a lot more negative opinions on my blogs or on my on tap check-ins or whatever is just because of, I'm self-selecting. I'm, I'm gravitating towards beers and breweries that I like and know, make good be know they make good beers. Um, when I get surprised by a subpar offering from a brewery I usually like, I'll say so. Um, if I try a new brewery and did not meet my expectations, I'll say so. Um, you know, because I think that just ignoring the bad stuff doesn't help the consumer who's standing there at the shelf wondering like, hey, is this, is this brewery any good? Oh, well, there is an absence of bad opinions, so therefore it must be good. Well, that, you know, that's, that's not really logical. Um, you know, I, I think that we do have a role in, in providing some honest criticism, um, but I think, again, it comes back to delivery and not being an asshole and realizing that there are people who are making a living and putting a lot of sweat into things. Um, ultimately, business is business, you know. Um, you know, if just to use an example, if Ford puts out a subpar car, you know, do you think automotive writers sit around and say, well, you know, some guy worked really hard on this car. We should go easy on him. No, they're, they're going to say this thing's a piece of crap. Um, that's business. Ford is a company that makes 
cars and makes money. And, and breweries that open their doors and sell products to consumers are the same. Uh, you know, I believe that, that they deserve courtesy. Um, I believe that they deserve, you know, modicum of respect. But, but I think kind of skating around uh, the bad ones doesn't really, doesn't help the consumer. And I think ultimately it doesn't help the industry either because then, you know, people aren't here, you know, necessary conversations aren't taking place. Um, you know, maybe people who need to do some better quality control aren't getting that message, either externally or, or maybe from another brewer taking them aside and going, you know, man, love you guys, but that beer was infected. You know, and that's the third one that, that's tasted that way. You know, is there a problem inside, you know, are you having a problem with, with uh, sanitation, you know, that, that you need to look at? Um, so I, so I, I, get, I get what Jordan and some of the others are saying with that, and, and I would say that I don't spend an inordinate amount of time seeking out the bad stuff and looking for things that I can just sit back and, and rip apart. Um, but I'm also not afraid to, to, to do it if, if I happen to, to come across a beer like that, because I think people need to know. I think that might be one of my most favorite answers I've received to a question in a year. Get out of here. On this entire podcast. Get out of here. I love it. I think I'm going to be thinking about what you just said for months. Just well, circling around that thought. I have many thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 feel like I've, I feel like some of those answers are pretty long, so this might not make it into the final cut, but you, yeah, go, go nuts with the editing. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's you know. going in. Yeah. I, I don't know how I can top that. I, I think we should just put a pin in it here. Sounds good to me. I, I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> Thanks for your time. You bet. It was great. Rebels, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Super easy to find. I'm also proud to let you know that we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. It's a one-stop shop for tons of locally produced shows from right across our province. You can find them at the saskpodcastnetwork.com. I'm going to include links to Jason's blog and Jason's Twitter in the show notes. Be sure to check them out. If you're into craft beer and you want to find out what really good informed opinions are, follow them on Twitter. It's worth it. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest news in SAS craft beer. Somebody told me they were missing out on some of the new releases for Rebellion. Get Untapped, follow our brewery, and set your push notifications every time rebellion updates its beer menu you get a notification you'll never miss one of our beers again thank you for joining rebellion <laughs>